Well, in light of looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians over this past week, uh, I was thinking about how much of a sucker I am for a legitimate letter. It's really exciting to go to the mailbox and find something that's not an ad uh, or something that's not just trash, uh, I guess, to be direct. There's some really great letter writers in the congregation. Molly, super letter writer, uh, and kept a lot of people in the church and her class connected uh, through the, the hardest parts of the pandemic. But when I see in my email inbox that I have a dozen or so emails, it's not exciting. It's something that might make me worry a little bit. I fear that maybe my, my task list will grow uh, or that something's wrong. But if I opened my mailbox and saw a dozen legitimate letters, I would be really excited. Uh, so sometimes it's a competition in December to see who gets to check the mail uh, as Christmas cards roll in because it's just fun to get good mail. And I was thinking this past week about some instances of that in my life when I was in college, I received a letter every single week from my great aunt, Alberta, that uh, it was her last few years of life, and she just told me what was going on at her assisted living home. She reflected on her relationship with God, and she knew that I intended to go to divinity school after that, uh, and was just so encouraging. And I could read maybe 80% of the letter, um, just with handwriting from someone who learned... uh, in maybe the 30s, uh, was just beautiful and and fascinating. Uh, Another good letter-writing exchange I've had, around the same time when I was in college, uh, Sarah and I were dating, and she was working at a a Christian summer camp throughout the summer. I was living in Brussels, uh, working with some missionaries. So between our commitments and through the time change, um, this was only a decade ago, but it just like wasn't Uh, It wasn't easy to talk uh, or communicate that much. So we wrote letters, and it was really fun uh, to come home and see that one of those had landed in the inbox. Uh, Not inbox, see, I'm talking in email. Had landed in the mailbox. So those feelings of joy and feelings of excitement uh, were felt amongst some of the early church communities when someone would come uh, with a scroll or a piece of parchment that had a copy of a letter from a leader in the church, Uh, and notably in the New Testament, we have over a dozen letters from the Apostle Paul, who wrote to encourage specific church communities uh, and encourage people up until this day who read it uh, and glean something from God from it. So if you haven't started any summer reading yet this summer, I'm not going to take a poll on this, but if you haven't read anything, if you just read one chapter of Philippians every week, in August while we're doing this. You can say at the end of the month uh, that you read a book this summer. So uh, we're going to do a big chunk of it through our scripture readings like we heard this morning uh, and as we look at the passages. But uh, just a bit of context on this letter. We know that it was written by Paul when he was imprisoned, uh, and it was to encourage the church in Philippi, which is in uh, modern-day northern Greece, don't picture like an island like Santorini or something. It's like Greece that's connected to, to mainland Europe up there. And this letter was an encouragement to them, and like I said, an encouragement to us up through this day. So as we look more closely at it this morning, we're going to look at Paul's famous proclamation, to live is Christ and to die is gain, which we heard El read. We're going to look at Paul's strong belief, uh, as well as this 
holy fuel that keeps him going. We see this throughout the book of Philippians, uh, but we see it very strongly in Philippians chapter 1. So if you're a note taker, you're welcome to take notes on the back uh, of your bulletin, and those uh, main points are, are identified up there at the top. But this passage contains uh, a verse I would probably put in the top 10 of most known New Testament verses. That's the well-known Pauline quote, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So for Paul writing this letter, facing the possibility of being sentenced to death, sitting in prison, uh, it's a natural reflection that he has. But I can't help but smile when you look at his musings on the situation. He, he seems so genuinely conflicted about his predicament. And in verse 22, he said, what shall I choose? I do not know. You know, I desire to depart. I desire to die, to be with Christ, which is better by far, but I got a lot of work here to do. So sometimes people uh, think out loud and talk, and I really feel like Paul might just be thinking aloud as he's writing here, uh, genuinely uh, unsure of which is better, but leaning on that proclamation to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is absolute power and calling in both. Now, this predicament of being imprisoned and facing the possibility of death is hard for many of us to fathom, but it's, it's not necessarily a dated one. We're very much protected, uh, thankfully, by the environment in which we live and the freedoms that we have. There was a, a pastor not that long ago. His name was Mehdi Debage. Uh, Pastor Debaj, he was born into a wealthy Muslim family, and he converted to Christianity as a teenager. Uh, he lived in Iran, and upon his conversion, he was kicked out, and he was very committed to his faith. He was part of the uh, Assemblies of God uh, network in Iran, and he went around studying in India and in Lebanon and in Switzerland. Uh, eventually landing and becoming a missionary in Afghanistan, uh, where he translated the Gospel of Mark into a local language. This guy just has an absolutely fascinating journey uh, and is worth a, a Google if you're curious this week. Uh, but eventually he, he left Iran, and, or he left Afghanistan, and they wouldn't let him back in. And so he went back to Iran, where he was eventually, this is in the 1980s, where he was eventually arrested, eventually imprisoned, and actually sentenced to death on charges of apostasy. So there was not religious freedom in Iran in the 1980s, and he wrote uh, just ridiculously powerful testimony from prison uh, that bears striking resemblance to Philippians 1. Let's, let's look at his words together. He's, he's talking about Jesus here. He says, he is our Savior, and he is the Son of God. To know him means to know eternal life. I, a useless sinner, have believed in his beloved person and all his words and miracles record in the gospel, and I've committed my life into his hands. Life for me is an opportunity to serve him, and death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Therefore, I'm not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but am ready to give my life for the sake of Jesus my Lord and enter his kingdom sooner. You think he was reading Philippians in prison? I mean, the, the overlap. Um, it's amazing to see how uh, his encouragement so mirrors that 
uh, of the Apostle Paul and is so rooted in Scripture and faith in Jesus. We see the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 holding so strongly to his faith in Jesus. We see in this testimony from prison, this was written in uh, 1993 after he'd been imprisoned for almost a decade. He is holding so strongly to his faith in Jesus in his testimony, which begs the question from ancient example to almost modern example, they're holding so strongly to their faith in Jesus. What is it that we are most strongly holding on to? This is the only thing getting Paul through in his letter. This is clearly the only thing getting Pastor Debaj through. And these two examples had a strong reason to consider the question that most of us uh, don't have facing us, and that's that um, they were facing death sentences. Death naturally removes us from everything except God. Everything that we've worked for, everything that we've attained, everything that we've accumulated. And so with all of that piling up, Pastor Debaj had no regrets His one desire and satisfaction was in Jesus. Same with Paul. Paul's only regret seems to be that he so eagerly wants to continue to preach and teach that that's almost as exciting as being with God. But they weren't holding on to anything tangible on earth. Which begs the question for us as readers and as listeners today, what are we holding on to most strongly. We see what Paul's holding on to in Scripture. We hear in the Gospels Jesus calling us uh, to reorder our priorities in a way that puts him at the center and puts him on top. I think an alternate way to consider this is just to ask the question, what gives you life? What fills you up and makes, as we hear elsewhere in Scripture, your, your cup overflow with joy, with satisfaction, with contentment. We have a beautiful picture of God doing just that in Philippians 1 for Paul. We see that in the witness with Pastor Debaj as well, too, who, by the way, was eventually freed shortly after that testimony that we read. He preached throughout Iran for six months, but then was abducted, and his body was found later, a few days later, in a park. He brought a a modern application and and life to Paul's phrase there, to live as Christ and to die as gain in the 20th century. Paul, we see throughout this predicament, being so filled by his strong belief. His belief and his faith never waver. Obviously, his environment, his conditions, His day-to-day changes quite a bit. There's a danger of, you know, kind of equating Paul and Jesus a little bit when we look at Scripture. Jesus was perfect. There are things that we feel that Jesus simply did not feel because he was sinless. Paul, as amazing as he was, uh, self-identifies as the chief among sinners elsewhere in some of his writings. So uh, Paul is not this this perfect being. He's someone uh, who really is aware of the fact that he can respond in ways that are uh, unhealthy or unproductive. 
he had to have been feeling the pain of his imprisonment. Uh, he had to be feeling the inconveniences, to put it lightly. But he's able to distinguish between his beliefs and his feelings. He's communicating to this to, to listeners of this letter, including us, the difference between distinguishing his core belief and his passing feelings. If we're able to distinguish between our core belief, our core conviction, and our passing feelings that come and go, this is a sign of Christian maturity and a way to stay focused on that which is most important in the bigger picture. And it's seeing this bigger picture, as Paul does, that presses him through this time that's taxing on him. It's the month of August now, and for me, uh, I'm still so surprised that every August, when, when I feel a muggy morning and when I smell fresh-cut grass, it, it transports me somewhere. And that is to a challenging time, kind of like Paul's having, the challenging times I had playing high school football growing up. I don't know what it is, just when it's just gross hot and fresh-cut grass, I really am a strong believer in smell connotations. Uh, And it kind of takes me there in my mind. And it was a miserable place. I don't want to be taken there. Um, We would have two-a-day practices. For for people who aren't familiar with that, that's just, you know, two practices in the same day. We were at school from 7 to 2, with a practice from 7 a.m. to 10, hour lunch break at 10, and then a practice from 11 to 2. And I see some of you cringing. That's because that sounds a little inhumane. Uh, and I know that uh, our coaches were aware that the feelings that we would get from that grind could really suppress our belief in the team and our belief in the process that this was even remotely worth it. So while I rolled my eyes at them often, the the coaches were actually quite smart in that they would line up motivational speakers uh, who would come talk to us on Friday. And it was usually a a has-been, you know, former Redskins player who would come to tell us about how much harder he had it and how we should be thankful for all of our modern conveniences. But it it genuinely helped uh, our feelings in the moment and instilled that belief in hey, this really stinks, but what we're doing, uh, it's important and it matters to the team here. Uh, I remember one specifically who talked about how when he did what we did, uh, they they weren't allowed to drink water. So they would, you know, squeeze their sweat rags and drink it. And and that got everybody fired up to do more. And and I I hadn't totally drank the Kool-Aid on this whole team thing because I'm sitting there thinking, it's just kind of gross. Like, this doesn't fire me up. We should... We should drink water or something. Uh, But it it was really a smart strategy uh, from the coaches because when these motivational speakers came in, our feelings kind of went out the door and we believed, you know, this same guy showed off his Super Bowl ring and basically told us, you know, listen to me and you can get one of those. Didn't work out for me. But I really, I don't think our coaches were students of Paul. I, I doubt that they'd read Philippians but they knew the value of instilling belief when our feelings could take over and cloud sight of the belief. Paul, his belief is so grounded in his faith in Jesus that these feelings that come sweeping through, there are so many feelings. I mean, this, 
read Acts. This guy gets shipwrecked, uh, runs into so much opposition, but he is just so grounded in his belief uh, that he just isn't shaken off course, even here facing death. So a question for us to consider is, where right now do we need to maintain belief and hope amidst troubling feelings? The, the feelings, the things that come and go uh, that might make us veer off course, where do we need specifically in our lives to maintain that belief and maintain that hope? And as you identify that place, that moment, that relationship, let Paul's words here encourage you how we feel and how we react in a moment. That's going to be fluid, but where we are rooted in our belief, in our faith, that must be firm. And it will lead to faith and assurance that we see Paul communicating in Philippians 1. I think if we can hope for, for 10% uh, of that groundedness and belief, we would be in an excellent place. But we can't just solely pat Paul on the back because he's not alone in this. We're going to get to now the, the holy fuel, as I call it, that we see happening and taking place in Philippians 1 and throughout this letter. It's really awesome. Well, this, this holy fuel that we see Paul utilizing is something that we too can and should harness. Paul is in chains, he's imprisoned, but he very much feels the love of his friends and of his fellow Christians through their prayers. We started reading it at verse 18, but I encourage you to read the introduction uh, leading up to that as well, starting at, at verse 1. Paul is very transparent in how much the prayers and encouragement from others are helping him. He receives the prayers, and uh, he also receives something tangible, uh, which we'll get into later uh, in the month. It was likely financial support uh, from a guy named Epaphroditus who came with the letter uh, and also came with some money to help him as well. But this holy fuel um, is important to acknowledge. Paul's amazing. Paul, um, you know, I was kind of joking earlier, but we need to consciously not deify him. He does many amazing things, but he was absolutely human, like all of us. And this holy fuel that we see him harnessing uh, is something we need to be aware of uh, and open ourselves up to as well. I know personally when I've needed holy fuel, when I've needed that encouragement, the love of the church has picked me up countless times. Uh, if I were to go into detail, could talk way past lunchtime. So I won't do that. But since I've come to OTCC, there's there's a, f a few examples that stand out. I've, I've not suffered remotely like Paul, but the holy fuel of the church uh, has been just a ridiculous encouragement to me. Uh, one that came to mind this week, there was a, a man who used to go here named Dan Fox. Uh, some of you might remember Dan. Uh, he and his wife, Cassandra, they moved to, back to California. Military sent him back home uh, a couple years ago. But he, uh, was, he was quiet also the best mover in the history of this congregation. He would help anyone move. Very quiet. One morning, shortly after, I have uh, two and a half year old twins. Shortly after they were born, he, he pulled me aside in the sanctuary when we were talking before worship. And he said, congrats on the babies. You look tired. I want to help. And he gave me a firm Dan Fox handshake with the Starbucks gift card in it. 
And it, it meant so much to me that he wanted to, uh, in a, a little way like that, be helpful. And like we see Paul receiving this holy fuel in Philippians 1, that holy fuel that Dan sneakily passed to me in a handshake uh, gave me legitimate encouragement uh, when I was you know, coming to church on Sunday looking a little bit like a raccoon because I was so tired. A- another time, you know, shortly after that, that comes to mind was uh, the first Easter of the pandemic, uh, which was really strange to stand here with Pastor Phil and talk to a camera uh, when we wanted to so dearly be with everyone. Uh, And it was such a blur. Uh, My wife, Sarah, and I, I don't think we bought Easter candy even that year. Uh, And then out of the blue, we got a a knock on the door from the Sorleys, who showed up with little Easter bunny hats. Uh, And I think they they were making the rounds to us and, and maybe Crystal after to drop off some Easter goodies such a simple act, but that was uh, the, I think, best received Reese's of my life. The way that that just, that fueled me, and it, and it got me um, just, when, when your tank feels empty, if you can just get back to the middle or the top, uh, it means so much, and that's just a beautiful thing the church is doing for Paul, uh, and that the church does today. There's one more example, I'll keep it very brief, but uh, like five or six weeks ago, I had COVID, was just, you know, tired, fevery, I was getting over it, and uh, someone named Bill offered to mow my lawn, and, and it, was, it meant so much, because it was more than a chore. I like mowing the lawn, that's how I relax, so I declined and did it when I felt better, um, but to know that uh, you can be filled with, with some of this holy fuel and, and support from others in the church Uh, just makes a massive, massive difference. Because the reality is we see see Paul as an amazing figure, uh, and he's an amazing figure because of the Spirit of God working in him, but also because of uh, those contributing to him through their prayers and through their support. And the reality is that friends and community just immeasurably deepen our roots of joy in the Lord. And this holy fuel, it's, it's something that we need. And in the local church, like we are here at OTCC, we need to be encouragers, and we also need to acknowledge when we need that encouragement. So if you don't know where to start with this at all, uh, an easy thing you can do is to ask someone to pray for you. Uh, If that makes you uncomfortable, all you have to do is, is fill out a connection card and drop it in an offering box. Someone will pray for you. You can talk to me, you can talk to a deacon after worship, or you can yourself this week join in the prayers of the church. We have a prayer list on the back table there that you can tuck somewhere you'll see it this week and and be aware of both general and specific needs that you can be praying for and about this week. Each of us has the potential and each of us has really the calling to do for others in the church what we see Paul's fellow Christians doing for him in Philippians 1 here. Everything that we've talked about, everything we've touched on from Philippians 1, 18 through 30, should direct us to the table, to the shared experience of communion this morning. We're reminded from this passage that Jesus gives us life, that Jesus 
holds us together when we're rooted in him, and that Jesus calls us to remember his sacrifice together.